Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and be turning to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. I have good news for you today. And that is that God does not get stressed in seemingly impossible situations. Did you hear that? God does not get stressed in seemingly impossible situations. Matter of fact, He works best in impossible situations. Sometimes He maneuvers things to make it impossible situation so that whenever He reaches down and He touches and changes that he and he alone gets the glory. Now, because God does not get stressed in impossible situations, I want you to know something. I checked in this morning, and there's no panic in heaven. Amen? Uh, Kevin said that a minute ago. I mean, I checked in on the throne room today. I hope you've already checked in this morning. Have you checked in already? But I promise you, I checked in this morning, and in the throne room, there, are, there is no panic at all. Matter of fact, there's only plans. He's working out his plans, and he's doing what he would choose to do. So if you have panic in your heart, or I have panic and anxiety in my heart and life, we're not consistent with the Father, amen? And what we need to pray is, Lord, I want your heart to be my heart, and I want you to move in me, and I want you to build within me great faith so that I understand you're not panicking, you're not distressed, no matter what life situation might be, no matter what a world situation might be, you're not panicked about that, you have a plan that you're working out, you're ultimately and always in charge, and we'll give you the glory and praise for that, amen? That's what we need to have, a heart like that. If your heart's not like that, just ask the Lord to change your heart and to give you that kind of heart so that you'll understand that He is totally, absolutely in charge. Now today... I'm excited about sharing this message with you because it talks about the power and sovereignty of God. The power and sovereignty of God to to work in seemingly impossible situations. If you weren't if you didn't have a chance to listen to last week's message that I preached over in the traditional service, let me bring you up on what has happened so far in the story because this is the rest of the story as Paul Harvey would say it, all right? What we saw last week in in chapter 6, in the first part of chapter 7, is that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, had decided that he was going to go back and he was going to hold Samaria, the city of Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. He was going to defeat them, and whenever they went and hid inside the, the city of Samaria, he decided to put a siege around them. Now, you know what a siege is. A siege is where he took his military and he, he surrounded the city. He cut off anything from coming out and anything from coming in. And he basically closed everything down. So all they had to eat was what they had inside their city. And quickly they ate all of that. And it became a desperate situation. It was such a desperate situation, it says, that they were eating donkey heads and dove dung. And donkey heads cost 80 shekels, which is about $500. Most of you have never, never eaten a donkey head. I haven't either, and do not plan to, amen? Most of you have never eaten dove dung, but that was for five shekels, about $31 for a pint of dove dung. Yes, 
dove dung. That's what it said. Have you eaten that? Hopefully not, all right? But that was how desperate the situation was in the physical needs inside of that city because of the siege. But it wasn't just the physical needs of the city. It was also a spiritual need because the king was walking out there one day, and, and a woman came and said, you've got to help us. And he said, I can't help you. If the Lord doesn't help you, no one can help you. But he says, what's your problem? He said, well, this other woman and I, we made an agreement. The agreement was that we would boil my son and eat him, and that she, then the next day, that we would boil his son and eat his, her son. But said, we boiled my son and ate him, and now she has hidden her son. She's not stressed because she ate her son. She's stressed because the other woman has hidden her son and is not allowing them to practice cannibalism. Whenever the king heard that, he ripped and tore his clothes, and underneath his clothes it says he was wearing sackcloth because of the grief, and he saw where his city was. He saw where his nation was. Well, you know what happens next? He's going to go and blame somebody. So who does he blame? He blames the man of God. And he says, I'm going to have Elisha's head by this time tomorrow. Either God can do something for me. So he sets out to have Elisha kill the man of God. Why? Well, many different reasons. But one of the things is because Elisha is probably the closest thing to God. And he's really mad at God. So he's going to take it out on the man of God. And he sends somebody to take off the head of Elisha. But Elisha already knows because he's God's man. He already knows what he's going to do and what the plan is, so he tells them, whenever that messenger comes from the king, hold the door and don't let him come in, and I will speak to you. So they hold the door to keep him from coming in, and he speaks to him, and he says, listen, a miracle is about to happen. Tomorrow in the city of Samaria, it says that fine flour will sell for a shekel and two parts of barley will sell for a shekel. Now that would be amazing, right? From going from donkey head and dove dung to eating fine flour and barley in a 24-hour period. About this time tomorrow, he said, that will happen where? Here inside the city of Samaria. The royal officer, who was the one who got the message, said this, that cannot happen. That's impossible. If God were to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, there's no way that that in 24 hours could change the situation of this city. Elisha then gave him this word. He said, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief, you will see it with your eye, but you will not get to partake of it. You will not get to enjoy it. You will not get to eat of it. And that is always the penalty of unbelief. The penalty of unbelief is that you will see it and know that what God has said is true. But if you do not believe, you will never get to enjoy it. You will never get to participate in it. So that was the story. Now comes God's answer. What did, what did the man of God say? About this time tomorrow, a miracle is going to take place. Fine flour for a shekel, two parts of barley for a shekel. Listen, it's going to be a miracle. It's going to happen. Now it, we move into where God begins to work and move. And, and the first thing I want you to see are the most unlikely heroes. Who are the most unlikely heroes in this story? You find it there in chapter 7 of 2 Kings, verse number 3. Here are the heroes. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate of the city, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? 
If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. Stop there for just a minute. I tell you, these guys, these four lepers men are the most unlikely heroes that you could ever imagine. You remember what the situation for leprosy was? When somebody uh, received leprosy or they had contracted leprosy, then there were all kinds of laws about it. One of the laws was the fact that they couldn't be inside the city. They were banished from the city. They couldn't live in their home. They couldn't get inside the city. Matter of fact, they couldn't come within 100 feet of the city gate. And, and they, they, they just couldn't be in, inside of that town or inside the city. The other thing, they had to wear the clothes of a vagabond. In other words, they, were, they couldn't dress up and look nice, look acceptable. They had to be identified as being a leprous person. Whenever anybody would come near them, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come near. But then here's a very important thing. Do you know how they ate? You know what they received? This is what they would eat. They would have to go to the garbage pile of the city, and they would have to go through the garbage to find food for them to eat unless someone in the city showed them kindness and brought them out food. Now think about that. The leprous men, the only thing they can eat is what's in the garbage pile or what somebody in the city might bring out to them. Well, what's happening in the city? They're eating donkey head and dove dung. There's not a whole lot going to be in the garbage heap, is there? And there's not a whole lot for them to share inside the city. So that means that the leprous men were in worse condition than those inside the city because they depended upon the city to help them some way, and there is absolutely nothing for them. These leprous men in that condition, helpless and hurting, they have to make a decision of what are they going to do in life. And they have three choices. They said, well, one thing we could do is to break the rules and go inside the city. Just break the law and go inside the city and to try to live there. But they said, but there's a famine inside the city and they're, they're not needing anything. They, they're no better off than we are. So if we go in there, we're just going to die with them. Or the second thing is we could just stay right here and keep doing what we're doing now and the thing about it is, we're going to die here. Or the third choice is, we could go out to the Syrian camp, and whenever we go out there, they might immediately kill us because they know that we're Jews, and they might not ever give us any help. But the chances are that they might be able to show mercy to us, and they might give us something to eat. So out of those three choices, their choice was to go over to the Syrian camp in hopes that they might find so, at twilight of that same day when Elisha made the promise, at twilight they go out to the Syrian camp, and I'm sure they've got their speech ready of how they're going to beg for mercy and ask them to give them something to eat. But whenever they go out there, they find out that there's nobody in the Syrian camp. Now, you've got to remember that. That Syrian camp is, is all over the place. It has them surrounded everywhere. It's just a large army. And they go out to the Syrian camp where there should be all kinds of army and all kinds of people and all kinds of things. They go out there and there is no one there. Not a soul. Not a soul. Why? Because of God's miracle. 
What was God's miracle? Well, it tells you about God's miracle. Remember, he, he thrives in the impossible. He, he thrives where no one thinks there can be help. That's where God works best. And God is totally sovereign to do whatever he chooses to do, whenever he chooses to do it. He is absolutely in control of this world. Let me say that again. He is absolutely in control of this world in this time we're talking about in the Bible or in this time today. Amen? God is ultimately in charge. He bows his knee to no one. He can do whatever he chooses to do. All he has to do is speak it. Our God is in charge. That is a wonderful, glorious thing to do. You ought to get excited a little bit about that, my friend. You ought to be rejoicing that your God, the one you serve, not a God, but the God, Jehovah God, the real God, is absolutely in charge, and he's still sitting on his throne today. So that in impossible situations, he just works. He just works, and he, he has all kind of power to do whatever he would choose to do. He could speak them out of existence. He could, he could evaporate them with his breath. He could do whatever he wanted to do with the Syrian army. But you know what he did? He just does a simple miracle. Listen to this miracle. It's found here in verse number 6. You need to underline some words. For the Lord had, circle this word, caused. The Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in twilight. They left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. Wow, what a victory. And how did God do it? Just by making some noise. Isn't that right? Isn't that what it says? Our God, I, one of those songs, I, the heavens roar. <laughs> All God did was let the heavens roar. And, and he, he let the heavens roar to the point that, that those Syrians, they heard, and whenever they heard, they they heard the sound of chariots. They heard the sounds of horses. They heard the sounds of an army to the point that it created fear within their heart and their life. And they thought that they were fixed to be attacked by the armies of the Hittites and the Egyptians. And they become so fearful that they pick up and they leave. All because of a sound. A sound that only they heard. I mean, if it had been a sound that everybody would have heard, don't you think the Samaritans inside the city of Samaria, they'd have wondered, what, what's that sound? It's only a sound that they heard, but they're the only ones who need to hear the sound because they're the only ones that God needs to evacuate. Amen? And so here they are. They hear this sound. They have fear in their hearts. God causes them to have fear in their hearts. Fear to the point that their response is to leave the premises. And I'm talking about when they leave the premises, they are leaving the premises in a hurry. Amen? Go back and read that and think about that a minute. They leave everything. They leave everything. One of the things they leave is their horses. Now, hold on a second. I wouldn't leave my horse. Would you? 
Can you run faster than a horse? If I'm getting away, I'm taking my horse with me. Amen? They leave their, they leave their weapons. They leave their food. It's not just a, a short journey back to Damascus, which would be their capital. They got a long way. They got to try. They left all their food. They left all their wealth in the tents. They, they, they left everything. They, they left it all. Matter of fact, if you read on in the story, whenever they come out of the city and find out if this is true, it says that they followed them all the way to the Jordan, followed the trail. You know how they know the trail? Because they're throwing weapons and they're throwing clothes. They're throwing everything off. <laughs> they're not letting anything hold them from running. When you got to run, run, right? And, and, and what all God did was to make a noise. He didn't have to fight a battle. He didn't have to defeat anybody. Just make some noise. And the Syrian, the mighty Syrian army that had held that city in siege to make them at a point of desperation, they are leaving the premises in high gear. Right? Now, stop there for just a minute before we go further because there's some things in the Bible that are just funny to me. Do you ever, get, do you ever read things in the Bible that are funny? This is, this is hilarious. Do you, do you, remember the, you remember the last situation when the Syrians tried to come and they tried to, to catch Elisha. You remember whenever he was going to, they're going to entrap Elisha. And whenever they, they, he blinded them and they walked, they took in the city of Samaria, that same city. And they had them encircled. And he said, you want me to kill them? And they said, no, feed them and send them home. And they fed them and sent them home and embarrassed them all the way. What an embarrassment. Mighty Syrian army has been fed and sent home. Now the next episode is the Syrian army and comes and holds this city in siege to the point that there's nothing for them to eat. You think they're going to win the battle, and a noise from heaven causes them to leave and go home with nothing. Now, could you imagine them showing back up with Ben-Hadad, who's, who's the king? <laughs> the king is in Damascus, and here comes his mighty army. There's not a horse with them. There's not a chariot with them. There's not a weapon with them. There's no wealth with them. There's no food with them. Most of them don't even have clothes on. And he said, what happened? We heard a noise. Isn't that the answer? We heard a noise. We thought the Hittites were coming, the Egyptians were. Did they ever show up? No, we never saw them. Did you ever see anybody defy anybody ever raise a weapon against you? No, nobody ever did that. Well, what are you doing here? Because we heard a noise. Wouldn't you like to know how great Ben-Hadad felt about his mighty Syrian army? And they left everything because they heard a noise. All our God has to do is make a noise. And he can make the enemy shudder and the enemy run. Well, why does he do that? He does that to fulfill his promise to his people. For remember what Elisha said. Elisha said, about this time tomorrow, within 24 hours, fine flour and barley are going to be sold in the gates of Samaria. How could that possibly be? Because God does a miracle. Now, what is 
the action of our heroes. Those, those lepers, lepers were not heroes because they decided to go out to the Syrian camp and found out the Syrians were gone. Why are they heroes? Because of the decision that they make. Look what happens here in verse number 8. When the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. So they're, they're taking and they're eating and they're taking the riches and they're taking hid what most people would do. Look what happens in verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. Underline this, this is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. You know why there are heroes? Because they realize that this is a day of good news, and they must not keep silent. This is a day of good news. The Syrian army has been defeated and there are riches and food and wealth. This is a day of good news. We must not keep silent. Why must they not keep silent? Well, think about it. In that, in that city, in the city, there are people who live there that are their family. And their family's dying. So if they care about their family, if they really want to love their family and express, what are they going to do? They want their family to know there's life outside the camp. There's life outside the city wall. There's life out here. Come out here. There's food. So they're going to take care of them, right? Absolutely. So they love their family. Not, not only do they love their family, they, they would love their city. They know that they have a responsibility to their city. Somebody needs to know that there's food out here, so they would want to tell the city. The other thing is they realize that they have a responsibility, and if, if somebody knows that they found that out and didn't tell, the next day they would be judged by that because anytime you have good news and you love somebody, you care for somebody, you ought to be telling them the good news. It's not right to keep silent, and so they understand whatever the motivation is, they need to go and they need to tell. And so they decide they will. And they go to the king, to the gate where the king's household is. And they're going to tell what has happened. They're going to tell what has happened. And they are our heroes because they tell the good news. They do not keep silent. Now, you say, well, that, that should be an obvious thing. Hold on a second. Put a little footnote right there in your Bible. Do you realize what's going to happen whenever they go and tell the city? You know what's going to happen? The city's going to come out and they're going to take all the food and all the riches and all the plunder and everything, and they're going to take it where? Back inside where? Inside the city. And where are they going to be living? Outside the city. They're still banished from being in the city. They still got to wear old clothes. They still got to eat whatever somebody gives them. They're still unclean. But they cared enough for their city that they said, we must tell them. We must speak truth to them. We must let them know this is a day of good news. You know, isn't that simply what God told us to do too? I mean, isn't that what the Great Commission was all about, to go and tell and make disciples and, and to let other people know this is a day of good news? It, this is a day 
of good news. God is still on his throne. He is still in power. He's still in charge, and he's still working out his plans. We might not understand all about what his plans are. We might not be able to grasp that and hold that in our own hands about it. But let me tell you something. God is still at work, and he still moves mightily, and we are to be telling that good news. It is not for us to be silent. It is not for us to be silent. Well, they go and they tell the city. To, and, and they go to tell the gatekeeper. You can read it. And as they go to tell the gatekeeper, they come to the king's household and they tell the king. Well, there are three responses that you have whenever anybody tells good news. The first response is by the king. The king is hesitant to believe. You know what the king says? The king says this, this is just a trap. The Syrian army is just trying, they're going and acting like there's nobody in the camp, and whenever we go out and try to plunder, they're going to attack us from that side. This is all a trap because it couldn't possibly be that God did something. Oh, Jehoram, the king of Israel, he was an ungodly man. He couldn't believe much about what God would do, and he certainly could believe a miracle happened. So he was hesitant to believe. Do you know when you share the good news, whatever that good news, there are going to be some people who are going to be hesitant to believe. Don't be surprised. They're going to be just like the king who's going to be hesitant to believe. That couldn't possibly happen. That couldn't possibly take place. That couldn't possibly be what God did. That miracle couldn't happen this day and this time. Oh, yes, it does. But he was hesitant. That's the first response. The second response, though, is one of the servants of the king. Thank God for that servant. You know what the servant of the king said? Read it in there. It says that servant of the king came to the king and said, Well, king, we don't have much hope or help right here, so why don't we just take, take a few horses and a few men and let's send those few horses and few men outside of our city to go to where the Syrians are, and if they are really set in a trap, then when they see these horses and men, they'll come out, and your trap, what you said they had, we'll be able to discover that. But if not, we might find out that it really is a day of good news. Thank God for that one because they said, I think we ought to just try. <laughs> I think we ought to just believe. I think we ought to just move forward. And, and the king said, okay, we'll do that. So they sent out some horses and some men, and they followed the trail, as I said, all the way to the Jordan River when they're throwing off all their clothes and everything else, running as fast as they can back to Damascus. And they come back and they say, you know, just what those lepers said is true. What those lepers said is true. There is nobody in the Syrian camp, and the people of the city are invited to come and to get the riches and food and plunder. And all the people rushed. Don't you know there was a race going on? All the people were rushing out of that city to go and to get the riches and to get the things that God had promised them. And you know what it says? Because of all the things that they had gathered up and the Syrians had brought, it says that fine flour was sold that day in the city of Samaria for a shekel and two parcels of, of barley for a shekel. It was just like God said. Just like God said. Or see, the Word of God you can trust, amen, and if you'll believe the Word of God, you reap the benefit from the Word of God and you get to participate and partake of the riches that God provides. There's one other response, and I want you to miss it. That was that royal officer. Remember that royal officer? Whenever Elisha said, hey, tomorrow, about this time, 
fine flour be sold, barley be sold for a shekel. That royal officer had said in verse 2 of that chapter, that's impossible. Even if God would open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that couldn't happen. That can't take place. And Elisha looked at him personally and said, because of your lack of faith, because you question the integrity of God and the man of God, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not get to partake of it. Now read the rest of the story. Whenever the city is, is told about the riches and the, and the people of the city rush out, do you know what the king had given this royal officer the job to do? To watch the gate. His job was to watch the gate and to monitor the gate. And you know what happened whenever that rush of people went? They were so in a hurry to get out there that they rushed over the royal officer. They trampled him to the ground, and he was killed. He was killed, and, and his unbelief had brought about the fulfillment of what God had said to Elisha, that you will see it with your eyes. You'll know that what I said is true is true but you will not get to partake of it. You will not taste any of the flour. You will not taste any of the barley. You will not get any of the plunder because you did not believe. In our day and time, we have people who are hesitant. and We have people who do not believe. And those who do not believe, the judgment is this, that one day you will see. You will see and you'll know. You'll know that what God said is true is true, but you will not get to partake of it. That's not just an Old Testament. That's New Testament too, amen? It's not just yesterday. That's in the coming day. Because see, there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Not just the saved. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. Even those, hold on a second, even those who did not believe. But the difference for them is they're going to kneel down out of obligation, not adoration. And they will kneel down because they will know that what has been said of Jesus is true, that he is King of kings, Lord of lords, and Savior of life. And they will see that and know that, but they will not get to partake of it. They'll be ushered off into eternal punishment, not because God wants them to, because they could not or would not believe what God said. That's always the punishment for unbelief. If you are hesitant, may God, may God send a servant along to encourage you to believe. Amen. If you believe, you'll get to eat of the fruit and see the miracles and the powerful hand of God. But if you do not believe, the judgment of God will come one day. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be on that side of the response, but rather be a participant in the good things that God does and the miracles that He performs. Now, that story should encourage you and me. <laughs> there are a lot of things that go on in life and a lot of things that happen in life that we're not certain of. We don't know why it takes place, but we know one thing. We have a God who's in charge, who's not fearful, a, a God who can speak into existence whatever he chooses to, or, or can make a noise in the heavens that changes the world that we live in. We need to know that. 
We need to understand that, and we need to walk forth from this place confident that we serve the one true God, the God who works and who moves and who's in charge and who ultimately have his will and his way in this world. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.